0: Hey everyone. Welcome to the GTM news show. I got Brendan here today. Hey, Brendan.
1: Hey man, how are you? I'm excited about this. This is gonna be awesome. I'm over caffeinated. I have a, like my (laughs) coffee cup is as big as my head. Uh, so I'm ready.
0: And you have Marcus Aurelius, uh, staring down at you. We were just talking about that. Yeah, man.
1: And my collection of like vaguely entrepreneurial, uh, and whatever else Funko
0: pops on the other side. (laughs) No pressure. I love it. it It takes a village, right? Um awesome. Well, I want to have Brendan on. He actually actually I featured him in uh, the newsletter a couple weeks ago uh, and uh, we connected and uh, wanted to have have him on the show um, for a lot of different reasons. First, he creates a lot of great content online uh, around uh, B2B marketing content, etc. And even before the hit record, we were talking about you know, what would be a great title for this And I think it's a combination of two things like, How to create great content to go viral on LinkedIn and other platforms, but then also drive revenue. Because I think you can uh, obviously create lots of content that maybe gets impressions and attention, but doesn't necessarily deliver business outcomes. So, Brendan, let's kind of frame up the conversation um, for the audience on how you view this idea of uh, content IP. um, And uh, what does that mean to create content that that can really get a lot of impressions, but also drive revenue.
1: Yeah, you know, I noticed two things happening in the market. Uh number one was that kind of two things happening at the same time. The first one was that simply every company, I work primarily with uh SaaS and software companies, I felt like everybody was making a category. Um I remember when I joined Active Campaign, I went in-house at Active Campaign for just shy of 2 years and uh, our CMO uh, rebranded Active Campaign from email marketing to customer experience automation. Fine, great, no judgment. Um, the problem was when I was going to Active Campaign, I was coming from a, a SaaS marketing agency where I was the SEO director. And you would think at a software marketing agency, they would well be well aware of all the big, like Martech companies out there. And the response when I said, Hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to Active Campaign, 50% of the people were like, hey, congratulations, it's a huge company, great product, awesome. The other half of the people, software marketers, had never heard of Active Campaign. They're like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, they have 160,000 customers and roughly you know, $165 million in revenue. How have you never heard of them? So we take this company who has a huge customer base, huge revenue, but an awareness problem. Where people don't know mm. them, and we're gonna take them out of the category that they have are, are still not fully in, which is email marketing mm. and marketing automation. And we're gonna make them this new thing, customer experience automation. You can see how that would fall flat. So I noticed my company and all these other companies creating categories, everybody had a buzzword of we are this new thing, right? I think everybody mm. got like really excited about like drift and gainsight creating categories. Um, the problem was when you create a category, you have to ride the wave that's already happening. You're saying, I see this mm. thing happening in the world. I'm going to name it, and we are going to exist to help people ride this wave with us. We see this all the time in just the real world, right? Real, like our work is not real. <laughs> but like Taylor, the, in, in the real world, we see uh, these things called conceptual scoops. And mm. uh, I hadn't heard that phrase until a couple of years ago, but I had seen them in the wild constantly. Uh, This idea of uh, the great resignation is a conceptual scoop. Uh, Hmm. It was seeing what was happening in the market. Same with quiet quitting, right? We're all B2B professionals. We're all aware of what those are. This was journalists seeing a thing happening in the world, a problem that was going on and just giving a name to it. There was no stats or data necessarily at first, but they're like, I think this thing is happening. Let's give it a name. And I think this is my uh, hypothesis, is that companies would be much better served naming the problems that their Hmm. customers have than naming their solutions. Hmm. We tend to skip that part of category creation where we name the old game, we name the problems. Andy Raskin writes a lot about this really, really well. I love him. Um, We skip over that part and we jump right to naming our solutions and it falls flat and we've, you know, We put our heart and soul as marketers into the marketing that we're creating, the work that we're doing, and for it to not resonate and then kind of go, oh, well, why did that happen? Most often, it's just because we skip the problems.
0: Mm. Brendan, that's awesome. and I love uh, starting with category creation. And I've seen over the years so much of uh, uh, just confusion in the market when you come up with these new categories, right? Where you're like, wait, what are you? How do I compare you? How do I... Do you compete with something? Do you replace something? How do you contrast? And everyone, you know, we all, we all are fear avoidant, right? We all wanna like, hey, how, do, how, do, how does this all match up to what I'm currently doing to other things? And I think there's actually, um, you know, Simon Sinek, start with your why. I think uh, a lot of folks, there's kind of something in that where like with the category creation, it's like, hey, how are we different? What's my why? How are we, um, you know, it's, it's like branding, right? Like how do we position ourselves versus everyone else? And how do we stand out? versus and then there's also the other end of it which is like uh, strategic narrative right which is what you're talking about with andy raskin and and talks about really what's from the position of of the consumer right and i think we're missing kind of both of those things you do need your why you do need to be like what's how are we different why did we get here but then also the strategic narrative and even combining like a story brand you know donald miller's the hero narr- the hero's journey uh, putting yourselves in the customer's shoes and Joseph what Campbell's I, Joseph Campbell's, oh, Joseph Campbell's yes yes <laughs> I have such a
1: gripe with story brand I'm gonna forgive me for five yeah, seconds please let's do it story brand is a whole book a multi-million dollar business that literally rips off the life's work mm. of Joseph Campbell and mm. does not mention him anywhere in it Donald Miller says, I noticed this when I was watching Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And if you read anything that George Lucas writes, he's like, I just followed the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell. Mm. I have a big issue with building, literally taking a person's life work, market twisting it and being like, Mm. it's story brand now and things Mm. like that. But the hero's journey is real. Like Joseph Campbell went and did the research hero with a thousand faces, like found that this is like the monomyth. That has existed in human culture all over the world since the beginning of any sort of recorded history and even oral storytelling. So it absolutely works. But the problem is that inciting event that causes the hero to cross the throne. Like, we skip that part. We all skip Mm. to, like, the lightsabers and the Death Star and all Mm. these things. And we're like, yeah, but, Mm. like, Luke didn't want to be a loser on Tatooine. Mm. And, like, we skip over that. Those, Mm. Those core problems... That push people to make a change in the first place.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks for the good call out, uh, Joseph Campbell. And also, I think in that there is um, creating that connection with your audience and your buyer. Yeah. I think there's there's a million and one ways to solve a solution. Right. There's hundred thousand SaaS platforms with globalization. There's so many service providers. Everyone's competing for your for their business. And so I think when you really go deep into a problem. Uh, not only shows you care and you have empathy and you understand your buyer, but you build that trust, right? And I think that's something I notice a lot of times too when we don't spend enough time uh, on the problem and really don't even understand the problem, right? I think that's the biggest problem with sales marketers. Anyone who go-to-market is we're usually not our buyer, right? We've never been in our buyer's shoes. And so actually, I have this analogy of, uh, of uh, be like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis as one more yeah. Oscars than any other for best breath actor than any other person and he takes years to get into his character right he quit acting because it was too intense he, t- he was in character for too long um and so i think about like that's getting into that problem getting into your character's problem getting into the mind of uh of your buyer and your audience so cool so talking about obviously the problem getting starting there um what other elements of this kind of content ip to, uh, are really important that folks should to, should think about
1: So I think it's first like sitting down, figuring out what the problems are, right? Understanding your customer and your audience. These are two different things. Customer research is like your one-to-one, hand-to-hand, jobs-to-be-done interviews. Like figuring out what is happening in their lives that is causing them to make these decisions where maybe your product or or service or whatever is a solution. Um, Audience research is a little bit bigger. We're zooming out and saying, hey these are our exact customers that we already have right now, or if we're really early in product that we're interviewing because so we're trying to figure out what to build, um, zooming out is like, hey, what does the larger audience want and how do we help them? Especially in things like B2B, where it's like we are helping them succeed professionally. This makes a huge difference. Uh, an example that resonates a lot with me is, um, it, do you know anybody Do you know anybody that has like sleep apnea or anything like mm. that? Like they really have trouble sleeping and yep. breathing at night? Yeah. The A lot of times what people think is the impetus to uh, use a a breathing machine at night or to get surgery or whatever is like, oh, they have low quality sleep. They're tired all the time. And there's a part of that. Um, And then there's this phrase and this phenomenon that happens uh, called a sleep divorce, (laughs) which is where you are snoring so much and so violently and waking up so much throughout the night that your spouse is unable to sleep. Hmm. And it causes the two of you to sleep in separate bedrooms, hmm. or you do get the sleep, uh, like apnea machine, and it's so loud and obtrusive. Hmm. You know, this giant, you know, like, uh, I don't even know, astronaut headset on, yeah, right. That you get this thing, and they call it a sleep divorce. Hmm. I have never heard of a visceral statement that resonated with me as much as that. Hmm. And when I heard that, it was like, oh. That is what happens. I don't want that. I don't want this machine. I want to get surgery. Like surgery is scarce. There's all these reasons people would not do that. I will get that because I don't want to get a sleep divorce from my, mm. my partner or my spouse, right? It's naming a problem. We're not giving a clever name to the solution. So I think first is figuring out like what the actual problems and pain points are using things like, like having conversations with people using things like, um, what's it? Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference is a great book of figuring out how to go deeper without just being Mm. like a patronizing or, you know, a a insolent child and just being like, why, 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 why get like four levels deep. Mm. A lot of times our pain point marketing falls flat because we're looking at surface level pain points. Mm. When you go three or four levels deep, you can give people that like gut punch And they're like, oh, that is really, like if we're doing sales tech, it's like, you know, hit your hit OTE and like make more money. (laughs) Yeah, but like how about never get put on a pip ever again? (laughs) Right, like all of a sudden it changes, right? Stop having your parents question your career choice. Like there's stuff in there that you can get to in these conversations. And then we simply, and this gets, I tell this gets like a little like hand wavy and marketing drum circle, but like give it a name. Two mm. or three words max. I love mm. words that start with the same letter sometimes. So they like kind mm. of rhyme. Um, but like call it, like the great resignation is like a great like the great recession and stuff. Like, I love that. Like, spend time wordsmithing mm. this stuff. I was driving in the car on the way back to my office a minute ago, and I'm like, I don't know if I even love content IP. Like, I don't mm. know if that's even the right phrase. I don't feel mm. like that hits hard enough and is enough of a problem. Like I'm talking about the problem in that phrase. So you're constantly like wordsmithing this. That's the first step. Then the question is like, cool, cool, cool. Brendan, I'm bought in. Let's create words for the problems our customers have. How do we get it in front of them, right? And I've kind of found that this like really simple like five-step framework works, right? We're creating content around the problem itself. Not our solutions, we're just naming the problem, sharing data, sharing facts, sharing information that's making people go, oh my gosh, this is a huge problem, right? Step two, sharing content, and every marketer skips this second step. Everybody's bought in yeah. yeah, share content around the problem, share content around the first roadblock to the problem. Hmm. As you start to solve this, you will run into this next issue What is that issue Uh, in the world? Like I used to do a lot of my work around SEO. I still do, but it was like my sole focus. I noticed the first roadblock was explaining SEO to your CEO. Hmm. CEOs just didn't get SEO and you being like, well, it's a black box and Google and backlinks like that didn't help them understand. So I just gave my audience a framework for how to explain. It's the I am framework, intent, asset and medium helps them explain SEO to their CEO. So name the problem, name the roadblock, give them a template. It doesn't have to always be like, we're not giving people like Excel files and stuff, uh, but just give them a simple template to solve that problem. It can be a way of thinking about something, a couple steps, some like three-step framework, whatever, right? Then share a customer or client case study of somebody solving that problem, that piece of content IP. And then finally do, I call it like a high-level interesting roundup right? How somebody, maybe that's not a client of yours or a customer of yours. How do they solve that problem? How do they deal with that? So the same thing that you help people solve, right? So problem, roadblock, template, customer story, and then like a high level, interesting roundup. And that gives us five good pieces of content around that piece of IP. You can keep going with that. More problem stuff, more roadblock stuff. There's more, there's way more in there. But we have this five core pieces of content that we know will not only, let's say, go going viral in the B2B world, especially on LinkedIn, usually means posting something, you know, inflammatory about a company or hiring practices or, you know, career stuff. But that doesn't drive revenue. And that's part of the problem. It can build you, get you a lot of eyeballs. But why are they going to stick around? And if you're talking about a specific problem set, talking, you have this like owned language. Right. When you give people to sort the language to describe their problem, it's like, shut up and take my money. Right. They trust you more than anybody else. So when you give them that, that's how you not only go viral on LinkedIn, but also have something that contributes to revenue and pipeline. And this kind of hidden third piece that is a thing you don't think about until you're leading a big team, especially in marketing, which is hiring. How do I build an audience of people where the best in our case, like the best marketers in the world want to come work with you? Hmm. That's a thing. like nobody talks about that piece of it Hmm. where it's like, oh, how do I attract what? Like if I were to go in house right now, I know I have enough audience and relationships where I could pull people out of current roles. I could definitely find Hmm. a ton of people who are not who are unemployed or underemployed right now people who are freelancing and happy doing their own thing, but we'd be more than happy to go in house to work with somebody else. I can give you five people right now that like, I would shut down everything to go work with them. If they called me and were like, Hey, can you come work at this company? You got to shut everything down. Absolutely.
0: The Mm -hmm. question
1: is, how do we how does everybody build that for themselves?
0: You know, super cool. I love that. And uh, just kind of going back through uh, what you just shared. uh, It's Actually, even back to Chris Voss, uh, "Never spoke the Difference" book, he talks about the idea of mirroring, right? And I think yeah. that's and even um, therapists, right, do this really well, where they just repeat back what they hear, or what what they, you know, and um, it creates not only that trust, that understanding, but they get you grab their attention, right? We're like, oh, and then you want to hear them say, Chris says, that's right, right? And that's almost like when somebody's reading your post, you want them to be like, oh, that's right, you know, that's exactly, it that resonates with me. Um, I'd love for you to spend a little bit of time uh, kind of as we go through these, uh, the first roadblock to the problem. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, and you're right. I never see that. Tell me uh, maybe why we never see that, why people aren't focused on that and what does that do maybe in the audiences in, in their mind when, when you are able to give them that first robot, does it like go a little bit deeper into the problem? So you create more connection or yeah, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Why is that important?
1: Yeah, so uh, let me give you an example. Um, I worked with a MarTech company who uh, one of the pieces of IP that they really worked on, they were a digital asset management software. So it's what you use after you outgrow Dropbox and Google Drive. You have too many digital assets that are flying all over the place. You can't keep track of them. Sales is using the wrong thing and marketing's got this and what's the ad creative, but that's got to be different and resized for this. Like e-commerce brands run into this a ton. And so do a lot of others. And what we realized was like the, the product solve that. And a lot of times when you're creating software, marketing software, you're like, yeah, we have the problem. And if you would just get our software, you would have the solution. So they just keep pressing like, this is your solution. This is your solution. There's other problems that are going to happen, right? So there's the, or there's piece, things that happen along the way. So the issue is that like you have uh, with digital asset management, Right now you have this, what we ended up calling relay race marketing, right? Where people are just handing off assets to each other, Mm. just passing the baton over and over and over. And it creates bottlenecks. And then people, you know, the more handoffs you have, the more likely the baton is to get dropped. It's a beautiful analogy, right? Relay race marketing, it also sounds like I'm big on, again, this is like the woo woo part of marketing, but like I'm Mm -hmm. big on mouthfeel. Like Mm. how does it physically feel to say Mm -hmm. these words? Sometimes you say it out loud and you're like, that feels gross. Like, that's yeah. not it. Cause people are going to say it to each other on, you know, in conversations like this. And if it doesn't feel right saying it, they're not going to. Um, so with relay race marketing, what we realized was the first roadblock to solving that problem, like, you know, the problem, you're, you're committed to solving it. Now, once you use digital asset management software, your team has been so dependent on one another. When I need something, I go to a person or a person comes to me and it's the passing of the baton. But now you're, passing the baton to yourself. You're moving to a self-service model. Taking an organization that has historically run on people asking and requesting things constantly from each other and ask them to go self-service is a huge roadblock. We're asking for organizational culture change. If you tell people that that's going to happen or it is currently happening to them, again, it's like, shut up and take my money. You know exactly what we're going through and you've described it or you've warned me ahead of time of like, Hey, Hey, hey. Hmm. just letting you know, as you start to try to solve this, hmm. you're going to run into this next thing. Hmm.
0: I love that. And that's almost, it's a, a twofold. I mean, obviously you're building that trust and you're going deeper and you're it's that it's a continuation of the problem, but it also is value in and of itself. You're like warning them of like, Hey, you're going to go down this path. And it's also like, Hey, here's a warning or here's something you should think of, or here's something you can sh- should consider. Um, and it's, it's providing some sort of value impact even without even going into your third point, which I think is also something that's missed a lot is providing some sort of template, providing some sort of value. And I always think of, I mean, marketing in general, um, but content specifically marketing and sales, I think all in all really all of go to market. How can you be your organization's first product? How can you actually provide value in exchange for attention? Um, and I think the best companies that do this are when every interaction with a buyer, before they become a customer, they're actually helping them solve a problem, giving them little, you know, tidbits of knowledge so that they want to come back from more. So I'd love to hear more on the kind of number three of like the template. Um, you know, does it solve what, what type of problem does it solve? Number one, does it solve the entire problem? Does it solve a, a portion of the problem? What's your thoughts on? Sometimes third it actually it. is just
1: like an actual template, to be honest with you, right? Like we work cool. in software, you know, like uh, I work in software. So like <laughs> a lot of the world is still using Excel for stuff. Like there's a very good chance that the people you're trying to reach who are not ready, I call this the pre-buyer journey, hmm. give them the template, give them. When I was at Active Campaign, I personally built like a hundred of these scripts, deck templates excel templates budget temp like everything that you could want that just helps them do the thing that we're helping them do
0: Hmm. right
1: so sometimes it is that easy right like if you're a compensation management software and you're like oh my god these huge companies don't even use anything like they're still running all of their comp out of excel great give them the excel template and it's like well then aren't they going to use that instead of our software Uh, they already are like, like, like mm. we have to live in the real world of like, if they are happy using your template and not your software, first of all, we have to question why the software exists, right? If it's not mm. drastically superior to Excel or Google Sheets. Um, but second to that, like, who, who are they going to come to? Who are they going to trust? And brand your template. Make it beautiful, right? Put your brand colors in there. Put your logo in one of the cells. They'll delete it. That's fine. They still remember where they got it from. Right. Especially if they're using it constantly. Uh, Taylor, I have been using the same. uh, A friend of mine shared a projects and projections Google Sheet with me Hmm. probably six years ago. And it is still how I keep track of all of the clients I work with and all the revenue that I make. Like it's so silly, but it's just a Google Sheet. Like it's not fancy. But like I remember who gave that to me and they have my trust forever Hmm. because of that. Right. I've also paid them a lot of money for for the things they offer over time. Mm. Um, so I think that that's a real it's like sometimes it is literally a template and sometimes it is. And this is the thing. I, also, I want to be really clear. We should have like led with this of I'm not better than anybody at this stuff. The problem is when you're in house, you don't have time to sit and just like fucking think for a minute. Mm. Like you, there's no thinking time in a lot mm. of companies. It's mm. just production time produce output 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 and then once we Mm. get past output it's impact impact Mm. metrics constantly and you don't have time to sit and just be like creative Mm. and be like well i wonder what my customer's problems are and i wonder if these are even right like we've been saying the customer's problems are the same for the last 10 years like maybe they've changed spoiler they have Mm. um like that sort of stuff makes a huge difference so Sometimes it's also just giving them advice or a framework for thinking about, I, if if people were to rewind or re-listen to the whole conversation so far, you and I have probably given five or six frameworks already. Mm. You already have these things in you, mm. right? And if you don't have templates and frameworks, ask your customers, how are you solving mm. this problem right now? Oh, I use this like thing, you know, that I've got in Excel or, or sometimes it's just like, oh, I have this like way I think about something. And you're like, cool. Codify that, create a framework out it. My friend Natalie at a company called Novatic uh, had this framework that she was talking to me about. Uh, it's called the valuable and unique framework. Hmm. That's like a template in, in her, or it, call it like the VU framework. So it's just simply, we don't release any sort of marketing materials or we don't do any sort of marketing campaigns if they are not both valuable and unique. Hmm. A lot of times we think things are valuable, but it's the same crap every marketer at every other mm-hmm. company is doing. For her, it has to be both that is an example of like a template or something that we can give to our customers where they're like, okay, cool. Now I have this new operating system for
0: the world and that builds trust. Super cool, Brendan. That's awesome. I love the, I love that. It's almost like a stepping stone, uh, to obviously your service or your software your product. Um, it can kind of be a good in between HubSpot does a great exam, does a great job of this with all of their templates and their on their blog and whatnot. Um, and, uh, it's a kind of a stepping stone. It's good in between. You can b- provide some sort of value. I love also that you said, ask your customer. If you don't have, if you don't have the exact framework, ask them what they're currently doing. That's always a great place to start when it comes to marketing or sales or anything. good to market is just ask your current customers what they're doing or how they perceive you or the problems, et cetera. Um, that's super cool. Well, in closing, I love to hear just, I think you, the two next points you talked about was, uh, customer case studies which i think is pretty uh you know i think everyone in general those are i'm sure you have some interesting ideas on how to do those better but for the sake of time i'd love for you to wrap up on um the interesting uh, insight um and uh, yeah just love any any thoughts or takeaways people can yeah you know, how to extract those interesting insights is that an outcome a customer produced and you're kind of resharing that an extension of the case study or what what's your thoughts there
1: so uh in a nutshell, the case study piece is very much like how customers solved content IP, right? Like how did they solve our IP? The cool thing is, is if somebody doesn't know like what that IP is, you can attach a metric to it. Like how so-and-so conquered relay race marketing by increasing or decreasing metric, right? And it's like, well, I want to increase or decrease that metric the same as them. But also it opens a, like we a lot of us hear about open loops. I like to call these things curiosity levers of like, what is that? What is that freight? What is relay race marketing? Like I get that they, but what was that thing? And it makes you want to, like, again, we could learn a lot from like B2C, the B2C side of things. I've used a lot of like consumer and general public examples in this, because I want you to see like, this stuff is everywhere. If you just zoom out a little Mm. bit. Um, So on those customer case studies, I focus a lot, not on like how they increase the metric or tactically what we did or whatever else, but like Why was that a problem for them? What were they going through? I want them, I want my potential customer or client to see themselves in that story of like, oh, they went through this. I am Luke Skywalker and this company or this person or this, whoever is Mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It puts you in the seat of guide as opposed Mm. to main character. And unfortunately, in a lot of case studies and stuff, the company... kind of becomes in the software becomes the main character. Mm. We help them do this and we help them do that. And we help Mm. them do this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but kind of just talking about your solution a lot, like put the knife in and twist it a little bit on the pain Mm. point. Like that is the whole point of that. We're so focused on saying what our solution did and all these outcomes. Mm. Um, And then on the other piece of like a high level, interesting roundup, find out how other people are solving this, find out how people, your audience or especially in B2B, Who are the companies your audience cares about? If I'm in um, cybersecurity or threat intelligence, tell me how CrowdStrike does this. Tell me how record, Mm. get on the phone with Tom Wentworth at Recorded Future, who I love. I don't know him. being something, you know what I mean? He's their CMO. So like, probably not him, but like figure out who there, who has the title of your customer at this company, find out what they're doing. And that might Mm. not be a play for everybody, but pulling your audience into your content and putting the wrapper of your IP around it of how all these people are solving your thing that you their problem that you've hmm. created IP around is incredibly powerful.
0: Super cool. That's awesome. And then lastly, you kind of threw in an additional tidbit, which was really around like, employer branding, um, in a way of like, how do you get your you know, get your, uh, build those relationships with people through content. Probably one of the most missed opportunities I see, especially, You know this year maybe not so much but uh as far as um with layoffs and whatnot but even still finding great talent is is always a challenge um thoughts on how to create i mean obviously your your content ip or your content that you're putting out there is going to build relationships with folks anything else you can add to that that builds that relationship and ultimately the, the opportunity to be able to hire or work with those folks down the road
1: Yeah, I read uh, this thing this morning from Joe Chernov uh, at Pendo. And I'm going to see if I can find it for you really quickly because I felt like it was so elegant. Uh, So Joe Chernov at Pendo says, every time I leave a meeting with marketing leads at Pendo, I'm reminded that for all the focus on new tech, data, KPIs, emerging strategies, the CMO job ultimately comes down to hiring. Get hiring wrong and none Mm -hmm. of that stuff matters. Get it right. And all that stuff begins to fall into place. Thanks team. And I was like, this is, and I saw it because uh, Kyle Lacey, who's the CMO at Jellyfish had commented on it, who's also an amazing CMO. Um, But like that employer brand, like when you're the ones that are defining the problem for your customers, again, we think that like the category creation matters and you have these like category people being like, well, well, Gainsight and Apple and all these other things. And it's like, you guys are literally cherry picking three to five companies and ignoring the other 99.999% of them. Like, sure. Some of those people do it, but we're looking at survive, like survivorship bias is a hundred percent. The story there. We're like, mm-hmm. well, they survived. So they must be there. like, that's not how that works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, So that employee brand, like when you're the one that truly owns the problems of the customers, not mm-hmm. only do you get big customer love, but like everybody begins to hear that, like, hey, it's really cool working on support at this company because customers kind of love it. They have problems that they love the company and the product, right? Or they love the brand or, you know, mm. it's great to do marketing there. Oh my gosh, you should come here and work on the sales team, dude. It is so much easier than fighting the uphill battles at these competitors. Mm. And it's not always because you're a leader. It's, you might just be a regular player, right? You might not even be the, the, the category creator, right? Yeah. But that can absolutely happen. And that's how you kind of close that gap.
0: I love it. And I would even argue, like even looking at Steve Jobs or anyone that's created a category, um, they had tremendous empathy and they understood their customers so well. And they, you know, like, I mean, they're all infamous for being focused on the customer and creating an amazing product. And the category almost came out of that, right? It didn't start with them creating this new thing and then working their way backwards. It came out of understanding the market, understanding the customer, understanding the competition, understanding all those key elements. Um, and then from there, creating an amazing product, which then in and the, of itself yeah, created people see yeah.
1: it. Right. They're like, look, yeah. it's the guy, you know, it's like our freaking phones or whatever. They're like, look, it's it's this. And what they forget is that like Apple, I think they got some absurd uh, loan from like a rich uncle or something. Mm. Initially, they immediately took on money. But what's important, like, first of all, that's interesting. Just the idea of like, it was just them in their garage bootstrapping it. False. Totally false. They raised money immediately. But what they did with that money was look at their audience and look at their customers. Mm. Right. That was the first thing they did was customer research and audience Mm. research. That matters. And that's a thing that gets skipped with Apple a lot is it's like, well, they're these visionaries and they created the iPod. And it's like, no, MP3 players already existed yeah they were they were and have been all category creators are maniacal about interviewing their customers and figuring that stuff out and I think that more companies would benefit by not jumping
0: the shark and Hmm. figuring out what their problems are and naming those I love it that's awesome I think yeah in closing um yeah super great just in the regards of like go deeper with your customers um, understand their pain points, understand what's really going on. Like he even said, not even the th- three levels of why, but even deeper than that, or understanding really what's going on and through that creating your content. And I love even what you said earlier about the frameworks. I was actually just listening to Larry Summers on the, uh, all in podcast, And he had this quote, which I thought about frameworks. So it was really interesting cause he was talking about regulations and he said, you need frameworks for freedom to thrive. And, uh, it was about regulation and whatnot, but I think in general, finding that framework, whether it's this content IP framework or the framework you have in general, uh, for how do you solve your problems? Um, and through that, you can then have creativity. You can then push the boundaries, but you still have it within these realms of, of, uh, restriction to, to make sure you still drive revenue. Even if you are, you know, trying to get that post to go viral or trying to get the most attention you still are getting the baselines done, right? You're still protecting the brand, you're still understanding your customer, et cetera, et cetera. So super cool. Yeah, I agree. Awesome, Brendan, thanks for coming on. How can folks follow you and connect with you online? Yeah, uh, obviously I share a lot of
1: this on LinkedIn, right? Uh, That would be the first thing, Uh, Brendan Hufford, you can misspell it as much as you would like. Uh, You could also Google Brendan Hufford or Brendan Hufford LinkedIn. Uh, The key, the best part of having a really unique name, uh, I feel terrible for my buddy, uh, Justin Jackson, (laughs) good luck ranking well for that. But like you Google Brendan Hufford, no matter how bad you spell it, uh, you'll find me. Uh, And LinkedIn is the first place. And then I have a newsletter that I write to about 26,000 SaaS marketers every single week called Growing Up. Uh, That's where we kind of go behind the scenes and talk about how SaaS and software companies actually get customers by interviewing the people that work there.
0: Super cool. I will put all those links in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on, Brendan. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, Taylor.